This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in a very stormy Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 10th, episode 1910. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning Endurance Day here on Horses in the Morning. We do this once a month. Karen here is here the second Tuesday of every month for like the last five years. So if you missed it, where you been? You have a lot to catch up on. Go back and take a listen to all the past episodes. I do have a warning early here in the show that uh, we had a rough, long night of thunderstorms here, that longest night of thunderstorms continuous that I can remember. And uh, it was one of those, Karen, where it sounded like the gods were bowling. You know, (laughs) just that constant rumbling and the house shaking. And Mm -hmm. it's still dark as night outside, and we got some more rolling in. So if we, if we, for the live listeners, if we get cut off, that's why we got cut off. The power probably blinked. Um, And for the recorded listeners, well, apparently we made it through. So if you're listening to this at all. But that's that's just a warning that we could uh, be starting and stopping today's show. Uh, but that's what's going on here. We probably had a foot of rain last night. Uh, there are ponds and lakes where there shouldn't be ponds and lakes. And for all of the listeners out there who saw my picture this morning and are saying, did you bring Scooter out to the water? Because if you remember right, Scooter got very famous rolling in the water. We did not bring him out to that particular pond because we thought he'd drown. So <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty deep. Um, but that's what's going on here uh, in, uh, in Ocala this morning. It's a little rainy and stormy. Now, we, uh, Jennifer's uh, getting our first guest on the line already, so we're going to do what's coming up on today's show. What is coming up on today's show? Well, first, we're going to talk to a rider that rode in the Nevada Derby and get an update on how that went. Then we're going to follow up with an endurance tip on camping and then talk to uh, a book author, John Eganis, on his cross-country ride. And then finally author Vicki Bielik on the do's and oops of horses. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It looks like a funny, funny book. But mm-hmm. uh, first, I have some, this great. to do. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday to you. <laughs> I have to wish a happy birthday to one of our hosts here on Horse Radio Network. Debbie Lauks's birthday is today. She's host of Horsemanship Radio. If you've never heard it, check it out on our app or go to horseradionetwork.com, Horsemanship Radio. Of course, she's Monty Roberts' daughter, and it's her birthday today. So happy birthday, Debbie. So now, um, while Jennifer's getting the guest on, you had a birthday too. 
Well, yes. Chief turned 23 years old Saturday. Now, Chief is your uh, five million mile horse, right? <laughs> he is 15,000 miles. That's and close. Uh, this close is his seven, 17th year <laughs> of doing endurance. And um, yeah, he's still quite a, a, a character. <laughs> he doesn't know he's anywhere near his age. No, he's, he's still riding 50s, right? Or 100s? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. He's only done 150 this year so far. The, the other one we had planned got canceled. And then last week I got strep throat. So I had to well, you um, know, it's, skip it's, the derby. Well, and we're going to find out that it's probably good you didn't go while you were sick to this particular ride. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes, I felt sad, not sad. You know, things happen for a reason. And now you know why you got sick last week. And so Speaking right. of which, do you want to go right into talking about that? Because she's ready. Oh, great, great. So we have Haley Daumler on the line. Uh, she, I've known her since she was a very young child, and I've ridden with her and her great-grandparents over the years for, for many, many miles. And um, welcome to the show, Haley. Good morning. Good morning. Well, tell us, how did the ride go? Um, it went well. <laughs> it was definitely an adventure. Well, tell us what the conditions were like for those that don't know. Um, we started the race in the pouring rain, and then, which was at seven o'clock, and it had been raining since since before we woke up, and uh, it finally stopped at around like ten o'clock, and then we had probably about it felt like a hundred mile an hour wind. <laughs> <laughs> I know the news said they were like 55 mile an hour. How guests. do you stay on your horse at 55 miles an hour? Why don't you just topple off? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I almost did a couple times. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> did you put Velcro on your butt? Be honest. Is that how you stayed on? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, tell us about your horse, Gulliver. Um, he was very excited to get going that morning. Um, He's my Tevis horse that I'm getting ready for this season. Um, he and I are actually sponsored by Echo Valley Ranch this season. So um, he's our one-eyed wonder horse. <laughs> right. And how old, how old are you now? I'm 23 this year. Okay. You're still pretty. Hey, you're the same age as Chief. <laughs> 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 and and I know your great grandfather Hugh rode twenty five miles of this ride. And how old is he now? Um, they won't like say for sure, but I'm pretty oh, sure getting close just, to eighty. <laughs> just just give a range. It's close to eighty is close. Enough. So you rode in the same race as your grandfather rode it, and he's almost eighty. Great grandfather. Great grandfather. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing though when you think about They're it now. Okay, so it's great grandparents. Did your parents ride then too? And your great your grandparents um, ride? Yeah, my mom rode with my grandparents for a little bit. Um, my mom and my aunt, but then they didn't stick with it. I'm the only one in the family that has stuck with it. Other than <laughs> your great grandparents, obviously. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. You don't often hear about that yeah. many generations being involved in something like this. You know, uh, that's pretty neat. We still neat. have our first horse that both, well, my great-grandma started, then my mom rode, then I rode, then my sister, and then my little cousin, and we still do kid rides on him. How old is Aww. he? He's 55? Our, 
he's he, he's almost forty one or forty two wow. this year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I know you saw the wild mustangs. Tell everybody about that. I did. Oh man, that was such an experience. I came up up on this hill and first thing I noticed were two stallions fighting and then look over and there had to have been at least thirty or forty other horses around them. And of course Gulliver I left my grandpa and his horse and so he was calling to everybody he could think of and the stallion stopped fighting and started coming towards us and <laughs> I was honestly a little scared. <laughs> But um, I got a pretty cool video, and uh, I just like taking all that in when I'm out there. I probably saw around 100 out there that whole day. Wow. areas, too. Yeah. Okay. So I do have a question. I'm going to get back to the wind. I'm still stuck on that, because 50-mile-an-hour winds is pretty Mm -hmm. wicked. I mean, you're only a few miles an hour off a hurricane. So um, (laughs) you... What challenges? I mean, if you're if you're in the headwind, if it's behind you, you you're getting pushed. But if if you're in the headwind, are you going anywhere? <laughs> um, I could definitely feel it, that it was like affecting Gulliver in a way, and um, like he would step over or lean over on one side, and I could feel that I was pulling him to the other side. But just like my body weight, because I was trying to stay on, obviously. And I mean, I was. I was racing, so I was going at a pretty good clip the whole time. And yeah, we'd come around through from the canyon and we'd come around to the open and damn, you'd get hit with another wall. <laughs> was it blowing up the dust or had it been enough rain that that solved that problem? Oh, no. Yeah. I had sand in my eyes that <laughs> I had to take my contacts out as soon as I got back to the trailer. Oh, yeah. It was pretty bad. And that hurts, doesn't it? I've been on the beach before when it's really windy, and that sand hurts. It's like, well, that's why they call it sandblasting, you know, because that's why they use sandblasting, because <laughs> yeah. it takes the, the paint right off of things. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, Haley, that was awesome to hear from you, and thank you for stopping by and telling us about the ride. And congratulations, by the yeah. way, on your third-place finish, and good luck at Tevis this year. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Haley. Bye. Bye. She surprised me when she said 23 because she sounds younger than that. (laughs) Okay, so have you ridden in 50 mile an hour winds like that? That's got to be challenging for everybody. uh, Oh, well, yeah. When you have the miles I've got, I've ridden in just about everything. I I, I rode with tornado sirens going off. (laughs) (laughs) How about earthquakes? Have you done an earthquake yet? Me too. I've done tornadoes too. Yay! Yay, we're nuts. You know, it's as long as you have the right gear for it, it's okay. It's you know, you mentally get yourself prepared, and you you yeah, go. Who gets and you the horse it. mentally prepared? Well, it depends on the horse. Some horses hate riding in bad weather. They hate it if the wind and the rain is blowing, and other horses love it, and they're happy to go. And um, my husband would always say whenever I was on a ride with the bad weather, and my horse would come in, and they lo- looked happy. I always knew there was something wrong with that horse, he would say. (laughs) (laughs) I got to get him on the Horse Husbands episode one of these times. He needs to be on that for sure. So now um, we have to, I have to also say that apparently this show is working because you had somebody try endurance for the first time because of this show. Uh, We did. Yeah. (laughs) Her name is Jennifer. Yeah. 
She went to her first endurance ride and she did the intro. I'm so proud of her. Yay. Congratulations. Yeah, I I did. I did the up, down, short stirrup class. (laughs) (laughs) So except for myself and my, for myself and my training wheels, her name was Claire. She was my training wheels. Everybody else in the class was, was not old enough to go to high school. They were like, it was all little kids on little <laughs> tiny ponies being led by their parents. And oh. but yeah, I was that person, but you got to start somewhere. You do. You do. Ask her, enough. ask her what everybody kept saying, because she was the only one with a 16, two hand horse in the whole place. So <laughs> that, was, first do you have? that stuck out too. Yeah. <laughs> Like, wow, he's big. <laughs> well, did, didn't you say he weighs over 1,200 pounds? Yes, it was really kind of cool. Um, they had a, a scale there. And when I went to vet in, Dr. Marshall, the first thing, first words out of his mouth is like, it were, wow, he's big. <laughs> <laughs> so we were taking bets on how much he weighed. And before the ride, when we got there, he weighed 1,260 pounds. Now, what do you? What's the Arab come in at? What's your Arabs come in at? My Arabs weigh between nine forty and nine seventy, and they're both about fifteen one. Okay, so he's only three or four hundred pounds more than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all. Okay, wait. You know, I want to know how how did you get on and off? I mean, does where the ride you have have mounting blocks and things to well, stand I, on? I, uh... do, are, I are keep you a able mounting to... block in my trailer. Okay. Yes, because I'm old and creaky, and getting on my 16-and-a-half-hand horse without a mounting block would probably be pretty embarrassing for me <laughs> and probably uncomfortable for I mean, you could job. probably do it, but somebody should take a video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Somebody would have to take a video of that. Well, you know what, what I do, because I'm usually riding with a junior, is I have my junior go put her foot in my other stirrup. Oh, that's a good idea. And that helps. Yes. Yeah. If, yes, that um, makes a big difference. Or right. le- a leg up helps too. <laughs> that's <what I> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and when we're away from home, standing still at the mounting block doesn't work quite as well as when we're when or when we're away. It doesn't work quite as well as when we're at home. So <laughs> that can be a little dicey too. So he because he's just ready to go as soon as as soon as we go away from so like let's just go. No. So what did you think of the whole experience? Is it something you're going to want to do more of? I want to try another one. I want to take little baby steps on because at, at mile 9.5 of the 11 mile loop, he finally got to the point where he didn't jig, buck, leap, cavort, flip leads or anything else. So that last, you know, mile and a half or so was really fun. Uh-huh. And how did he handle <laughs> the trial in the vetting? How did he do with that? Oh, he, he came back fresh as a daisy. And, uh, <laughs> I, I walked back to the barn and I'm carefully taking off my tack and encouraging him to try to eat and drink something and rubbing the sweat marks off. And my training wheels, Claire came running over. You've got to be efficient. Come on. You've got to get back and vet back out. The clock doesn't stop yet. I'm going, what? Who? Where? <laughs> so that was, that was one thing she said about this whole experience, Karen, is that it was very confusing for her to know what to do. Because mm-hmm. they, you know, to know what to do when you got there, to even know where the start box was and all that stuff. So I thought it would be interesting to do an episode where you, you know, take an hour of one of these episodes where you just walk through, okay, when you arrive, this is what you do, and you go through every step. 
Um, right. Because right. she said they were using terms she didn't understand, and they were telling her to do things she had no clue. So maybe maybe we could Blair, do that. I'd still be there lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it can be very confusing, and different rides will do things differently depending where they set their end timers and out timers up and the procedure that they want you to go through. Some vets want you to vet through right away and, and go through the, the you know, you know, get your arrival time and then your pulse time and then you vet and then you go give your card to the out timer so they can write it all down. And then others want you to wait a half an hour to vet. And so you just need to kind of learn the procedures of each ride. And that's where most rides have, um, they're supposed to all have actually a meeting um, after the regular ride meeting for new riders so that the new riders can um, get a little extra instruction. And so yeah. did, I was, did you, I was the only new rider. I didn't get a meeting. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't mourn a meeting. <laughs> well, but you've been listening yeah, they, to an yeah. endurance show for five years. years. Right. She should have known. Still, they kept using, they keep using all these words that I didn't understand what they were, then these acronyms that I didn't know what they meant. I need a dictionary. <laughs> all right, Karen, you need to write the dictionary. You do have that, don't you, somewhere? We, yeah, we have all the acronyms. I think one of the best ones that might have described Jennifer was the DIMR one, which stands for Distance Induced Mental Retardation. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and we all get that. <laughs> Nobody's okay, exempt. That was funny. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the another experience he, she had, uh, your endurance tip today involves setting up camp at an endurance ride. And you know that Jennifer and I love camping, so you'll have to <laughs> ask her how she... Well, you do your tip and then ask her how she did it. At, uh, this okay. Story. Well, I just wanted to, you know, mostly it's about being aware of the camp and the situation, um, when you pull in, you're going to want to kind of just, you know, survey everything, look around. Do you want, if, if you're able to haul your own water, then where you camp isn't going to be as important as if you're going to have to haul a bunch of water by hand. So you don't want to be, you know, two miles away from the water. Um, same thing for the porta potties. If you have your own in your trailer, it's not as big of a deal. Um, if you have a new green horse, you're not going to want to camp right on the starting line, for example. <laughs> so, you you know, you might want to get out and maybe, um, you know, some rides have people that help get the rigs parked and maybe ask a few questions. You know, just like if you have a dog or dogs with you, you're going to want to maybe camp away from other people. If you've got a stallion or a mare, you need to be kind of careful that you're not going to pull in and park your horse right next to another horse and then you know, there's going to be some, you know, problems from that. If it's going to be windy, let's say, um, depending on which way the wind is blowing, I always like to try to park so that my rig is blocking some of the wind for the horses, especially if it's, if it's going to be windy overnight, then, you know, you're able to give them a little bit of protection that way. Um, on some of the rides I've done where it gets up to like a hundred degrees and it's really, really hot. Um, you, you know, um, my husband would learn on the when we were doing the point-to-point -point rides which way to park the rig so that when I came in in the late afternoon that my horse would be in the shade of the trailer. And so then you just have to think, you know, the sun sets in the west, shade's going to be on the east side of the trailer. And so, you know, it's just a little bit of being self-aware and being considerate of other people in camp. So, Jennifer, tell us how you're camping setup and experience went 
you know, I need to remember the east-west thing. That's smart. <laughs> I like that. Now, it, it was cloudy the entire time I was there, so it became irrelevant. Okay. But that's a good point. That's a good you point. You know, I, some, I, some camps you have no choice. You just have to park where they put you. Where you have to park, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I got a stall for Nigel because I don't own a portable paddock, and tying him to the trailer overnight, uh, we're just not there yet. So I got him a stall, and I parked as close to the barn as I could get because I'd never kept him overnight before. Now, see, my, horses, my horses have never had to do the stall thing. I don't know if they'd handle it. You don't we know how that the, works, yeah. We have the opposite thing going. <laughs> yeah, the, the downside of the stall thing is you have to you have to slop everything back and forth and back and forth. You put a lot of miles on when you have right. to do the stall thing. Now, do you have a cart yeah. or a wagon? I do or? not have a cart. See, mm-hmm. again... Live and learn. Need I need a, but then you have to have room in your truck for your carts. So you have to figure out what size cart you can have, and the facility. I was at a place called McCulley Farm, which apparently is very popular. I was on one side of the driveway, and the barn was on the other side of the driveway. That was the, that was the distance. It wasn't very far at all, maybe twenty yards. But the problem was, you go fifteen feet, you go straight down a bank four feet across the driveway, straight up a bank four feet, and into the barn. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a little terrain to deal with, <laughs> but I, ha- I, yeah, I needed to figure out the cart thing. Definitely. And uh, so the East West thing wasn't an issue. It was cloudy the whole time. Schlepping things back and forth cart must have. Uh-huh. And everybody was very polite about, you know, giving plenty of distance between parking spaces and stuff like that, because it's kind of a camping free, free for all there. You just go wherever you want. Right. Right. That's how it is at a lot of rides. Yeah. Yeah, and she slept and in the hammock in the back of the horse trailer. Yeah, worked That's great. Sort of cool. Yeah, no, I've I've done that. I've um, it's better than being in a tent, especially if the weather turns bad. See, that's the thing. My trailers. It, I had this sparkling new trailer that that I'm going to be paying for for the rest of my life, <laughs> and uh, it's nice. It's water watertight and clean and all that kind of stuff. So it was great. I just shoved all the bed the clean bedding off to the side hung up my hammock in the horse stall section of it. I had a little table and a folding chair. So I hung up my hammock to sleep. And then in the morning, I took the hammock back down and I opened the back ramp and I pushed the, the partition off to the side and I set up my little table, my little chair, my little coffee cup. And it was like having a little veranda. It was awesome. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think you would do different next time besides getting a cart? Definitely get a cart. Um, what else would I do different? I would um, pack more blankets because Hank sleeping on a hammock is chilly. Um, I'd definitely do that. Let's see here. What else? Um, I think that's about what I would do different, I think. Definitely something with wheels because cleaning the stall, again, a lot of schlepping back and forth because all I had was a muck tub without wheels. Okay. So that right. Yeah. So I need wheels that can be multi-purpose. They can have I know, to be wheels that I can stuff around. What, you know? what was the weather like? I mean, did you have good weather? Besides just Friday being cloudy? The day before I got the it was just cloudy. I didn't have any rain the day I went. It was a two day ride and I got there Friday afternoon by the time the rain and the rain had stopped by that time. Uh, and then Saturday during my ride it was just cloudy. Not much of a breeze, so it was really quite pleasant. I didn't have to deal with any weather. If it had been rainy, it would have been reasonably miserable because I didn't schlep everything into the barn, and if I had, I would have gotten so wet doing it. 
I wasn't set up to do that. I wasn't too sure because I had no idea what the barns looked like, whether or not the stalls had doors on them. I had no clue. Didn't know where the water was. Didn't know anything about the place. <laughs> um, so when I got there, it, the barns are just these big, long, look like it used to be chicken houses. They're, uh-huh. they're 100 yards long. And then the stalls are just corral panels set up. Okay. So all the horses can hang out and chat with each other, which is great if your horse gets along with the horse next to him. Well, exactly. Not so great right. if not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have bugs this time of year in Florida? We did not have a serious bug problem. It hadn't really gotten warm enough. The, the oh, rain the night, day before was reasonably chilly. Now, Sunday, the, the ride was over by Sunday. Sunday, it had warmed up into the 80s. Bugs everywhere. It, it can happen very quickly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that can always be a little bit miserable. We did one ride last year where um, it had been such a wet year. The bugs were out. <clears throat> and the day before the ride, they were biting us through our clothes. And we were covered, me and my junior, with bug bites oh, for great. like That's two weeks fun. afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Lots of fun. So, and, and I know we're so spoiled out here in the West. We really don't have bugs like you guys have bugs. <laughs> no, we have big bugs. <laughs> uh, and you know what's going to happen now that we've had all this rain, the first serious, like, di- you know, 12 feet of rain for a rainy season is in about four days, we're going to have the largest mosquito hatch of the year, Ooh. which uh, went, and I don't know if, um, uh, so I, I don't know if you've ever been through a mosquito hatch in Florida, but what basically happens is you cannot go outside. <laughs> just, you have to wear long sleeves, uh. you have to cover everything up, and you just don't spend, there's like three days that you just, it's just incredible. So Ooh. it's always fun for the spring mosquito hatch when that happens. <laughs> it's always fun. Well, I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> and the poor horses are miserable and you have to put their, you know, their fly sheets on and that doesn't even help because mosquitoes will bite through anything. And especially the big <laughs> ones like we get. They so, do. Yeah. And, and we were spraying ourselves with, you know, bug spray and all sorts of stuff and they still were biting through our clothes. Well, you know, they say that, uh, that the, the material, the shirts that have the, mis- the, re- bug repellent in them work uh-huh. pretty well for mosquitoes. Um, but I have never, have you tried those? I have one and I don't know if it really worked or not. I, it's, um, that's the thing, unless it's a bad right. mosquito day and you can compare it to like you're wearing pants that they're biting through and your shirt's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you know, right? Right. So. I remember an article once in a backpacker magazine that different colors attract different biting insects. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, endurance riders probably, um, y- you know. Yeah, all the really colors you wear are probably the ones that the mosquitoes colors. like. Yeah, it's like. Exactly. <laughs> they see us and they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> Food. That's <laughs> right. Look, it's, a, it's a roving buffet right there. Just... <laughs> all right, let's get to uh, Kristen. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? We're good. Glenn's, I think, a little wet. Yeah, we're a little wet here. But uh, Kristen, we have to say, is with Distance Depot. She stops by here once a month on our show, I think for the last five years, talking about cool stuff. Yes, and we're going to talk about your new equi-groomers. Tell us about those. Well, um, for most people, even though we've had lots of snow here, our guys are shedding like crazy. Um, and one of my favorite tools these days um, is the EquiGroomer. Um, it comes in a 5-inch size or a 9-inch size and in fun colors. Um, 
but the nice thing about it is it fits in your hand really well, and it is a shedding tool. So um, I actually use it in the fall also when, when the winter coat starts to come in, um, mm-hmm. and they really seem to like it, and I think it gives them a really nice shine, um, but it takes the hair off like nobody's business. It basically has, a you know, like a little saw blade on it, I'm sure, Many of your listeners have seen those, and there's quite a few out there. But I like the way this one fits in your hand, and it really does the job. Yes, it looks kind of like a squeegee. It, <laughs> you know? It does. Yeah, it does. We yes. have, um, of, of course, tons of grooming things since this is the um, shedding grooming time of year. Pretty soon we'll all want to be washing our yellow tails. Um, yes. <laughs> so that's a pet peeve of yours. It is for me too. And our guys are just, you know, after the winter, we just get so darn dirty. We have all kinds of really coarse, regular um, brushes and scrubbies and all kinds of curry combs and things like that. A new um, item that's been on the market for a few years now is also the hands-on grooming glove. Hey, I love, really love, nice. love, 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 love them. Do you? I love mine, too. And our horses really like them. They're kind of cool because you put one on each hand, Yep. and they have nubbies on the fingers, and they're soft nubbies on the fingers, and then there's a harder, like if you have a crunchy, muddy spot on a hawk or, you know, how they get it on their hip bones and stuff, you can use the palm of your hand, and it really releases that mud. And It's great and for dry. shedding they, time, too. It's perfect for that. Yeah, and yeah. it comes... You just shake your hand and the hair falls right off. It doesn't stick mm-hmm. to you, so they're pretty I, cool. Everybody should have one. Period. You, you should just have. <laughs> you should have a pair. It's what twenty? What are they? Twenty some bucks? I don't remember yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. they're worth it. And you know who really likes it is my greyhound. Uh, the gray. The dogs love that thing, and it's yeah. great for shedding yeah. dogs too. That that Equa Groomer works on dogs too. The five inch is perfect, and it takes all that um, undercoat and just brings it to the surface and gets rid of it as they're shedding too. So, dual purpose there because most of us have dogs. <laughs> right, <laughs> and they all shed. <laughs> if you don't own a pair of those gloves, what are they called again? <laughs> Hands-on grooming gloves. You should go to Distance Depot today and buy a pair because the, if you don't do anything else, do that. It you will. <laughs> Be thankful every day. Do you own them yet, Karen? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and okay. they're, they're terrific because my horses love to just grind the mud into their ears and their faces and all over, like the hawks. Right. And those things are, are you know, they're, the horses are much more accepting of being groomed with those than if you're trying to use, you know, something like right. a metal brush or something to scrape all the gunk off but yeah they were great you know that's yeah. that's a product that we thought we were going to get them when they first came out as a sponsor here on horse radio network and basically what happened it got so much press and so many people talking word of mouth they didn't need to advertise a lot <laughs> because it just people <laughs> found out about it and bought it yeah they go through periods especially this time of year where they're hard for us to even get back in and keep on the shelf so um, right now, we have plenty on stock, but there are times when they just sell out. They can't keep up. Are they sized? It's a pretty great product. They're they are. S- they yeah. come small, yeah, small, medium, and large. Okay. So I think I did and, a large. Um, for, yeah, yeah I, and we have, I, I don't know, you all are probably pretty familiar with that sort of orangey glove that you wear on your hand, and that's a similar unit, but we also have a new one that's similar to that orange glove. But it's called All Hands Grooming Gloves 
So it has fingers. It's much bigger um, than the on-hands grooming glove, but kind of fun. It's nice and light, so if you have a real sensitive horse um, that doesn't like the harder nubbies, that would Mm -hmm. work real well, too. But if you go to thedistancedepot.com and type in grooming, you'll get to see all of our... um, We have scratchers for horses this time of year. They love those. So there's all kinds of great grooming products on there. And I also see you have some new horse holsters for carrying a cell phone when you ride. Yes, most of your listeners are probably used to the horse holster, but they have come out with um, two new designs, really colorful. Um, one is called Puzzle Pieces, so it has every color um, that you can imagine, <laughs> and also a tie-dye one, so bright and um, bright and definitely colorful. I'm sure there are plenty of riders out there that will like these new designs. And if you want to support a company that was started by a local girl here in Ocala and she's built this herself and she's done everything herself to make this company work and she's super nice and she's a good friend of ours. Her name is Brooke. She's also a mounted archer. Um, She She's the one that started Horse Halters, and uh, you can feel good about buying from a, a self-starter company there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's a great gal. And Kristen, how would people get in touch with you if they, if they would like to order any of these terrific products? <laughs> they can visit thedistancedepot.com or dial 866-863-2349. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining us again this month. Bye, Kristen. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Kristen. Yeah, I can't recommend those gloves enough. They're just <laughs> terrific. Love those. All right, so that's uh, Distance Depot. You can find all of our other terrific products over there. And she's been with us, I think, as long as you have. I mean, since the beginning of doing endurance oh. episodes mm-hmm. years ago. <clears throat> now, let's uh, let's play a recording that we did. We could not do this interview live because it's like 3 in the morning there. Um, he's down in New Zealand. And tell us about our guest. Our next guest is John Eganis. He's the author of Man and Horse, The Long Ride Across America. He, um, His bio reads, he has been a musician, a saddle maker, a dog catcher, and a hobo, among other things. He learns by making mistakes, and he views his life through a windshield full of squashed bugs. <laughs> and you're going to see his personality come out in this interview. <laughs> and then after this interview, we're going to play one of his songs called Facebook Page. Uh, he gave us permission to play that, so that'll be fun, too. Here we go. Well, welcome to the show, John. Thank you for joining us. We are looking forward to talking about your book, Man and Horse, The Long Ride Across America. Thanks for having me. And so it took you 40 years to write this book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, you know, how, process. I'm a little uh, <laughs> a little slow on the uptake, I guess. Um, I, You know, I, I wrote a manuscript uh, the year after the ride, uh, the ride was in 1974, and then in 1975, I did a series of articles for Horse and Rider magazine of seven articles that went along with the seven months that I was on the trail with Gizmo, and then uh, they were those articles were aimed at you know, 13 year old girls you know with horses, um, <laughs> and uh, but I I also wrote a, a quick manuscript that. Um, was not good, you know, I, even at the time. It was just, it was more like a giant diary. I kept a log book on the ride so I, I could remember certain things. And and so I wrote that and 
sort of pitched it around and decided I didn't really want to spend my life trying to sell a book, especially since I didn't really like the book. And so I just put it away and left it there and, and, uh, and went on to other stuff. And, um, and it took me a while to kind of mull this stuff around in my head and, and, uh, and pull it out and, uh, and, and put it down. And what what inspired you originally to even want to undertake something such as riding across the country on a horse by yourself? I, you know, there was probably <laughs> nothing specific. I was, you know, as a child of the 60s, as who came of age in the 60s, I, I spent a lot of time riding freight trains and hitchhiking. You know, I was a folk singer and a, you know, bluegrass musician. And I used to just hitchhike around the United States and ride freight trains and, and do that sort of romantic life, I guess. It wasn't so romantic at the time, but, it, <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was used to being out there. Um, and I just, and I also grew up with horses and stuff with, uh, you know, and, uh, and so I just, I don't know, it just sort of, it, it evolved over a quite a long period of time, several years, this idea of, of going across the United States. Originally, I, I thought of going, uh, I was in California and I thought of the Pacific Crest Trail, which at that time didn't exist. It was just, they were just mm-hmm. talking about maybe making something. And so I thought, well, there's a line on the map anyway. And so I thought <laughs> I could ride from Mexico to Canada. And I started researching that and figuring out how long. And I just figured out, you know, I could do that in just like a few weeks. And it wouldn't be that far. Maybe <laughs> I'd want to go coast to coast. It, it was sort of a, you know. And I so I started looking into that and studying maps and i write about that in the book about how i uh, kind of obsessed over maps all kinds of different maps and uh, and i talk about maps in in the book well tell us about your horse gizmo he was um he was a quarter horse and he was on a pretty good stock his mother was a uh a, a mare that belonged to my mother and and uh her name was the Wayward Girl, and she was, uh, or no, her her name was My Wayward Lady, out of the Wayward Girl, and so she was bred, <clears throat> excuse me, out of uh, Kingstock, uh, the King Ranch. So she she went back to P two thirty four, the first, uh, the, you know, the the kind of foundation sire for the quarter horses. Um, King was his also his name, and then um, t- that was on the King Ranch in Texas, and then uh, Gizmo's. Uh, father, his his uh, <clears throat> his the stud was uh, Palio's note, who was a pretty well known California racehorse, who was at a, you know he was by Leo, uh, so Gizmo's got you know sort of king that that stocky quarter horse stock on one side, and on the other he has a, a lot of thoroughbred, a lot of racing stock um, goes back to Leo, and uh, and he was he was a pretty slightly built horse. Uh, really refined, real handsome. You know, he was about fifteen one, and uh, not big and heavy and stocky like his mother was. Right, that's what made him so good at doing an endurance event like this one. That he wasn't I think, so yeah, heavy. Probably, yeah, probably, especially since he did have a bunch of thoroughbred in him. And he had ha- long pasterns. He had, you know, he was a very smooth at the trot, which was uh, a lifesaver. Uh, you know, I don't know if I a horse if you've set the trot on a horse who has a, a very kind of a jackhammer kind of trot, you know, 
uh, it, it can kill you. You travel mostly at the trot out in the open country. That's the best gait for a horse. They, they can travel a lot of country in a hurry without killing themselves. I n- almost pretty much never galloped Gizmo at all for the mm-hmm. seven months we were riding. Wow. And how did you come to get him? Well, he was out of my mother's mare, and I just inherited him sort of when he was weaned. So oh. I had him since he was a baby. And right. I had him, he, and I life. finally had to put him down when he was 22. Um, he had a kind of a pituitary gland tumor, kind of, a, which isn't totally uncommon. And, and uh, he, you know, and I, I just finally had to put him down. But uh, I had him all his life. Well, wow. so tell us how how did the trip go? Give us the first of all. Let's start with what was what was your tack like, and what kind of equipment did you start out with? Well, I started out with a forty, literally a forty dollar saddle. I think it was forty five bucks that I bought <laughs> at a at a tack shop in L.A. and uh, at the horse laundry. And any any old horse people from Los Angeles will know what that place was. It was near Griffith Park funky old place and this thing was in the back it was an old german cavalry saddle it was a caisson saddle which was a a saddle that they'd put on the lead horse to pull cannons and so they'd have a a rider on the on the one of the lead near side horse they would they would ride cannons uh, pull cannons with this so this was a world war ii czechoslovakian made uh, sort of an english saddle i put a, a horn on it not to rope off of but to hang stuff off and I started with that. It was pretty beat up when I started. Uh, <laughs> and I started I started with a hackamore, but I quickly, within a couple, two, three weeks or something, I sent it home and I just rode him with a halter. Um, at that point, he hadn't, I had used a little snaffle to, to ground break him, uh, but I never rode him with a bit. And he never really had a bit in his mouth his whole life. Uh, except for just ground drive, uh, ground driving him to just start to break him to you know saddle and stuff. But uh, but now nah, he was mostly just a you know kind of a free spirit. And uh, so I had a I, I had just rode him with a halter and then um, and this uh, cavalry saddle that had a a crouper. Uh, it had a britchin strap and and uh, like to keep the cattle, saddle from sliding forward. When I got to Oklahoma City. Uh, the Oklahoma Quarter Horse Association gave me a new Canadian Mountie saddle. And so I rode the rest of the way. So about half the ride I rode with the German cavalry saddle. And the other half, or a little bit more than half, I rode with the Canadian trooper saddle that I modified a bit. And, uh, and you know, just had a bedroll, uh, which, which had a, you know, just a bag with a sleeping bag and uh, a couple of pairs of, you know, I had an extra pair of, pants and a couple of shirts and that was pretty much it Uh, i had a pair of mcclellan army saddlebags that i basically kept everything in them and and a little small slicker and canteen and that was you know i did i had i i carried a day pack a little you know a little one of those little day packs that you carry on your back and then and i put my stuff in it and so that when i got off the horse and and walked which i did a a good deal of the time it also took that weight off of his back when i was when i was leading and and how far each day did you try to go and how many days a week did you go i went about 20 miles a day and some days i would go all seven days in a week mostly i i would stop for a day's rest every 
five or six days or so. It depended on where we were. If we, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a rigid schedule, but I did pretty much uh, stay true to uh, keeping it to 20 miles uh, because I had studied a lot of uh, cavalry stuff from the 19th century about how they traveled and and uh, it was really a it was a uh, a temptation to go farther when I was say out in the uh, plains and the panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma and stuff uh, it would have been easier to go twice that but so I would get up in the morning we'd take off at a trot I'd stop uh, after about 10 or 12 miles and unsaddle them and that that might have only been an hour and a half, you know, you go around seven miles an hour or so at the trot mm-hmm. uh, at a real slow jog that I did. And so uh, in three hours, I could be done on a flat day. Um, and then what do you do the rest of the day? You know, so it's a temptation because you, you're not that tired and the horse doesn't seem tired. But if you keep going that you, you have problems with back sores and galls and, you know, uh, how did you fend for yourself for things, you know? right? How did you guys fend for yourself as far as food goes for both you and Gizmo? <laughs> Not very well. Um, did Did you really, lose weight? I mean, did you lose the land mostly? Did, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, did I you lose much weight? Yeah, he did. He lost at least two hundred pounds. Um, he was about a. I'd say. He was between seven and eight hundred pounds. He wasn't a big horse. It was seven or eight hundred, maybe eight hundred pounds when we started, and but he he lost a couple of hundred and then gained a bit back. Uh, but uh-huh. going over the Mojave Desert and through the deserts of uh, the the Painted Desert and the Indian reservations and all through uh, Arizona and New Mexico and well into Texas, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of feed for him. You couldn't carry feed because he'd eat it all up. And, you know, I mean, it just was too heavy right. to carry. Um, right. And so it was mostly a search for water and uh, water dictated pretty much every day of the ride where we went. And what were the nights like where you stopped to stay? Oh, I, you know, that was the best part of the ride was the, the nights, um, especially in the West, of course, because they, I was just out there in the middle of nowhere that me and Gizmo and the coyotes, you know, uh, and the wild horses out on the reservations um so it was i don't think that it's possible to do this anymore but uh it was you know we were lucky enough to do it in at a time when those areas were completely remote and there were no people out there Mm -hmm. Uh, it was too hard to get to there was no google maps there was no connection to the internet there was no way to connect back home i had to send a letter and then i had to I would have to say, look, can you send them the maps to this place, care of general delivery, uh-huh. uh, and, and I'll be there in two weeks or something. And and then I would hope they would get there, you know. Right. Um, yes. No cell phones, no GPSs. No, there was nothing. It was it was just, you know, me and my horse. Wow. So what part of the trip did you like the most out of all the states that you rode through? Well, you know, I loved the Mojave Desert as hard as it was. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful. I don't think I'd want to do it now. There are just four-wheelers and people all over the place now. But back then, there was nobody there. It was a place you avoided. Um, you know, it was it was a place that if you went to go to the wilderness in California, you would go to the mountains or the beach or someplace, but you wouldn't go to the desert. Nobody, you know, just idiots lived out there 
crazy. <laughs> and I loved them. I mean, I met a few out there who uh-huh. got nowhere. Uh, and then also, of course, the Indian reservations and up, up in uh, northern Arizona and across New Mexico, um, just very, very remote and huge skies and, and you know, uh, beautiful, beautiful places. So once you got towards the end of the ride, I mean, were you feeling a little melancholy about finishing it? Um, we went through Tennessee and then on up into North Carolina, we went up over the, the Blue Ridge and the, into the Appalachian Mountains there and, and up over uh, the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains and, and uh, went up into North Carolina and then on up into Southern Virginia and then across. I went to uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, near Nor- Norfolk in the Norfolk, greater Norfolk area. Anyway, by then, I really just wanted to get it over. It was a beautiful time of year going up through the Appalachians. Uh, it was the color season in October, so it was just spectacular. Uh, but the logging trucks, there, there were little narrow roads with no shoulders, and we were almost hit, you know, constantly. Oh, no. And um, so my nerves were just frazzled, and it was, had been a long – I just wanted to get it, get it over with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we made it we made it into the Virginia and across and into Virginia Beach. Um, the people were just wonderful. I mostly tried to stay away from people. So I, I stayed the night in graveyards, mostly back east. Uh, we would, <laughs> oh, you know, wow. especially near a city, we'd just go find a graveyard and, and, and hide there. And nobody ever came at night to a graveyard. So, you know, we were, and I, and oftentimes they had gates and I could just shut the gates and I didn't have to stake Gizmo. I could just turn him loose and he'd just wander through and eat grass and, you know, lay down on people's graves. Like and that. Stuff. But it was, uh, yeah, but they were really quiet and <laughs> I, I, I have a fond uh, affection for, for, you know, cemeteries. Wow. So once you were finished, how was integrating back into normal everyday life like for you? It was, you know, when I got there, I didn't have any money. You know, we did the whole thing on a sh- pretty much nothing. And uh, and when I got there, I was pretty, pretty much broke. Some people took me in who had horses who invited me to stay. And so I stayed with them for a few days in, in, in outside of Virginia Beach with Gizmo. And I basically took him out and lunged him. And, and I didn't ride him, but I, but I exercised him. I was afraid of him, um, you know, getting tying up and stuff. After when a horse works that hard for that long, it's real easy for him to, to tie up and, and, uh, and get, have problems. So I, so I worked him down, so to speak. Uh-huh. And, and how was how was he doing with with the sudden ending of of going day after day? You know, by then he was such a warrior. He just didn't care. You know, <laughs> he was just a, he was into everything. He just anything that I was into, he was into. Aww. And he just uh, he just took everything literally in stride. Um, he was such a seasoned horse, um, and so. We were invited to the nationals, uh, you know, the World Quarter Horse Congress, which was this. We we finished. We left the third of April, and uh, we finished uh, the first of November. And so in November they have this world thing, 
with the Quarter Horse Association. So they invited us. They really just invited Gizmo. They didn't care about me. <laughs> uh, and so and so I met these people who were going there. They, and they had a spot in their trailer. And so we kind of literally hitchhiked a ride to Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, drove there. And then I just sort of camped in a stall with Gizmo. And they trotted us out every once in a while. And they all these, you know, kind of big shot people there. And, we had a good time there for about a week, and I met a I met a reining horse tra- trainer, cutting horses and reining horses, uh, from from California, who had a big stock truck, and he and he offered me or if I would help him drive back to California, you know, offered me a spot in his trailer. So we loaded Gizmo up, and I drove home. <laughs> and was home Ventura or somewhere? In no, the home area? was well. Right then, it was is in Los Angeles, in Pasadena, South oh, okay. Pasadena, is really where I grew up. But uh, but I lived a long time in Santa Barbara. After the ride, uh, I lived there for a little while, and then moved to New Mexico, where I lived for many many years. So right. Gizmo spent most of his life back up near Santa Fe. Okay, and now you're in New Zealand. How did that happen? Well, just my wandering streak <laughs> raised its head again. Uh, I I uh, I decided to uh, pursue a, a higher degree in I mean music. I'm a musician, and and so I uh, I came here and got a master's, and then was you know offered a job as a lecturer, and and uh, so I you know I'm I'm here. <laughs> Wow. And I uh, got my doctorate, and I, I, I teach uh, I teach music, teach uh, recording and recording studio stuff and uh, digital culture and uh, songwriting and various and sundry things. And do you are you involved with horses at all anymore, or did you get your fill of them? <laughs> oh, actually, I never got my fill of horses. Oh, just, good for you. I don't know that I want horses here. It's a they're it's it's a different scene here it's not like it was out there uh-huh. um, but i mostly was around horses and uh, until i came here to new zealand i go to horse shows and i you know um i have some horse friends here but no i'm uh, you know sadly not really involved in horses right now i'm thinking about getting back into doing music for dressage freestyles which is which i've always loved i used to do some upper level dressage stuff for uh for you know, Grand Prix type dressage, which was uh, really, really fun. Okay. And we loved listening to some of your music, Lynn and I. So um, can we, sh- is it okay if we share your, your website links? Oh, sure. Yeah. I have a Bandcamp site. You can look me up on Bandcamp and, you know, you can, you can pay for the stuff or you can just download it for free. i just want, you know, I'm happy if you just want to download anything up there uh, that you want. So yeah, I okay. feel free. Great. And your other website, your blog is johnandgizmo.com. And and your book is available on amazon.com, Man and Horse, The Long Ride Across America. Yeah, you can get it for uh, print or for Kindle. And uh, it's, yeah. And I just hope you read it. And for Kindle, I think it's pretty cheap right now. (laughs) Yes, I think it's included in the, the, you know, if you have the Prime kindle plan or whatever yeah it's you can called. get it and right it's only like for a little for a while now it's like 99 cents so it's uh it's a good well, well you know it's a good deal i suppose terrific terrific <laughs> if you like that sort of thing well thank you so much john for joining us we appreciate it so much and uh congratulations on you know your book and uh 
hope you're able to get back into horses someday somehow. Oh, I will. Okay, Karen, I could listen to him uh, tell stories all day. <laughs> He's just a great storyteller. And how do you feel about sleeping in graveyards every night? Um, I, that's something I have never done, and I'm not really sh- sure about that. Um, it's interesting, though, because in my travels across country, I went a different route. I was further north when we did the Pony Express route. But we did pass a lot of graveyards, and, you know, it never occurred to me to stay the night. Well, one. you know, he's right. It's fenced in, and there's always – they keep the grass, grass really nice in graveyards. So um, Now, I don't know how the uh, cemetery people would like finding you and your horse in there in the morning, but um, – Probably not real well, but you know it was a different time when he did this too, and and, and right. I think that came across in the interview and probably the book. I can't wait to read the book. Um, yeah, because it was just a whole different time, and what a, what a cool, relaxed dude. <laughs> so, I know, huh? He was fun. Uh, yeah, nice guy. Well, we're gonna play one of his songs, and this is all about Facebook. It's called a Facebook Page, and this is John uh, and one of his songs. Work hard on my image I want my fans to know That I always put my best foot forward I try to put on a good show But the people show up with their cell phone camera Like photograph me on stage And at the end of the night They put my picture on a Facebook page They always seem to get my guitar face with the Running down my chin And now there's pictures made Of every escapade In all the places I shouldn't have been On the wrong side of town Fooling around With women half my age They take the telephone camera And they call up the Facebook page Facebook page Lost control Falling farther down that hole to keep my good side showing in the digital age But there ain't no privacy In a social network community Lord, won't you help me get my picture off the Facebook page I was always protected by the company lawyers Now I'm living in the public domain Thrown into the crowd where anything's allowed Everybody looks better than me I tell you being a star It ain't what it used to be Facebook page lost control Falling farther down that hole Trying to keep my good side showing in the digital age But there ain't no privacy in this social network community So Lord, won't you help me get my picture off the Facebook page Oh, there ought to be a law about the picture on the Facebook page Yodelay, oh, delay the Facebook page. 
Well, that's John. You can find all of his music. Uh, he said it's, uh, well, you can find uh, johnandgizmo.com is probably the best place to go, or his name is John, and it's E-G-E-N-E-S.com. You can also find all of it there. He has some fun stuff, and we're going to add some of it into our lineup here on Horses in the right. Morning. He had some great songs. I really enjoyed his music, but that Facebook song was just too good not to share. <laughs> I love that. I know, and it's true of anybody that's a celebrity, right? I mean, just <laughs> you can all relate because somebody's got a camera out all the time. Well, while Jennifer uh-huh. gets our next guest up here, I wanted to mention that uh, we'll be back, uh, of course, tomorrow. We're going to have uh, Sally from Heels Down is going to be filling in for Jamie, who's in Hawaii on vacation right now. And um, so she's going to be here for that. And then uh, Thursday, we have Mary Kitzmiller training episode with Jennifer and Mary. And then Friday, I don't know who's co-hosting actually with me. Somebody's co-hosting with me. And, oh, Lisa Wysocki is going to be co-hosting with me on Friday for Really Bad Ads. So get your ads into Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. So what do you have coming up next uh, if you're healthy enough and the weather isn't too bad? Well, um, we actually are going to be looking at the ride calendar later this week when my junior comes over. There's a ride called Cash Creek that I would really like to go do again. I did it two years ago. And unfortunately, it was a year where it rained really heavily. And so we rode 50 miles in the mud, up and down hills, and it was gnarly. Um, and so Dude. I'm looking forward to going to do that ride in normal good weather. <laughs> well, that begs the question. You use Renegade hoof boots um, instead of shoes when you ride on your endurance rides. I... And how do they do in the mud? Yes. Um, you know, it, it depends. Like uh, at Cash Creek, for example, um, once we knew it was turning to the just slick, slippery mud, I pulled my boots off and rode barefoot, which is fine. I, I love the Renegade um, Boot Company actually encourages me to do that. Um, you know, uh, they like people to try to keep their horses as barefoot, you know, sound as much as possible but there's definitely a time and a place for using the boots i mean i've used their strap-on boots i've done tevis in them and many 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 thousands of miles of multi-days and one-day rides um and a few hundreds actually i've used them on the strap-ons are nice because you know they're easy to put on and then when you're done you take them off they also have a glue-on version which is a little bit more work and effort, you know, to get the hoof prepared to glue. And then when you're done, you, you know, it takes a little bit of work to pry them off and get them off. So my preference is, of course, the strap-ons. And the nice thing with those is, besides being made in the United States, they come in several different colors. Orange, red, uh, yellow gold, copper, burgundy, jade, um, chocolate brown and black. And uh, they have... Uh, uh, two models now. They have the regular um, classic Renegade boot and the Viper. Um, so if you, depending on the shape of your horse's feet, they're um, more than happy to help you decide which um, model of boot will work the best for you. And um, in my experience, I've had them all work really well for my horses. And um, uh, they're, uh, they do offer really good traction, especially if you're going to be crossing pavement and roads and doing a lot of uh, riding on you know, gravel and stuff that's hard packed. They offer really great protection. And you can learn more about Renegades by going to RenegadeHoofBoots.com. Very good. And your guest is ready.
Oh, good. Well, thank you for joining us, Vicki. Um, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. And I really enjoyed your book, The Do's and Oops of Horses. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about, about your book and how you came to come up with that concept. Well, I wrote an article for Breed Magazine, and I discussed the different ways to get up on horses. Because, and no matter what people seem to do with their horses, it seems like you're always seeing them do different things to try to get on their horses. I have a 16-hand horse, and I'm five foot two, so I've gotten really creative. But there is one story. <laughs> like a catapult? That really um, kind of launched that- Catapult, um, maybe? Well, actually, that's one of the chapters. <laughs> I did have a friend throw me right over the top of him once, <laughs> and he stood for me. My friend did not. She left. She ran. <laughs> she was laughing. Um, but one time I had to get help getting on him, and, you know, this is a little rude, but I had running shorts on, and I had nothing under my running shorts. Oh. Commando. Yeah. It was... <laughs> It was, oh, yeah, yeah, never going to do that again. (laughs) So (laughs) at a group of about nine riders that knew what the situation was, and they finally convinced me to let this very nice mountain biker help me get on my horse. (laughs) (laughs) And you made his day. That was the highlight of his mountain biking career right there. (laughs) You know what? I had an open invitation the rest of the day if I needed help. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of launched the the thought for the book. And originally I was going to write just about mounting. (laughs) And it just kind of went back and spiraled into things that I've seen, things that I've personally done, and just really funny situations. And some of them could be serious situations, and there's plenty of books about the serious aspects. But just, you know, you sit back and you look and you see things happen and you think, wow, I can't believe it. I did that. Or you watch somebody else and go, ah, <laughs> yay, they bought their horse named Kanye West, <laughs> which is part of my one of my chapters. <laughs> so it's just it's just things that people can relate to as experienced horse people, things that they've seen or have done themselves. And, you know, I've had the book purchased for some people that are new to horses and they've come back and said, well, thank you for telling me what I should probably never do. <laughs> so, we all learn those things. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of feedback. Usually the hard way. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, it yeah. usually hurts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, I have a section about, you know, safety. And safety is very serious. But one of, and this is actually another story, is, you know, I had my horse, I was holding his lead line, and I was using bathroom in the outhouse. <laughs> and something spooked him. <laughs> and it was perfect timing because I got yanked right out of that outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pretty. <laughs> hey, you know what? A lot of these things involve your pants down or problems like that. You know, I'm just saying. I knew you were going to go. There. Uh, well, you brought it up. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the only two sections, though, about that. Okay, good. <laughs> well, there is one section I know you will um, appreciate, uh, Glenn, and um, we're going to have Vicki read this one paragraph on the chapter about the secret meaning of ads. 
Oh, really? Yeah, uh, yeah because we do yeah. a section called Really Bad Ads Every Friday, where we re- read really bad Craigslist ads and make fun of them. So uh, we kind of have a feeling of we know where you're going there. <laughs> well, this has to do with um, okay. hu- husband save horses. So here you go, Vicki. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just a little information ahead of time. I do discuss extensively what ads mean. And one of the things I do talk about is age of a horse and how, you know, the ads on Craigslist have those funny adult things. So there is a reference there. I love that you said Craigslist. (laughs) All right. Well, one of the warnings about ads is that you often see a husband safe horse as part of the ad. Yep. And what that should mean is that you should put your non-horse husband, whom you love so much, on the horse's back and he'll be safe. That may be true. But what else it can mean or what it doesn't mean? In reality, it can mean, it can often mean that you have decided how much, you haven't decided how much you love your husband. So this may be a good way to get rid of him. Or this can mean that your husband will be safe, but your kids may need seatbelts to stay on and an umbrella to slow down. Sometimes a husband safe horse means you're safe from ever seeing him again because your new horse just ran off with him all the way to the next county. <laughs> you still there talking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's so true, too. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's just one of the many different descriptions you see. When you look at these ads for horses, it just cracks me up. So why not put it on paper? (laughs) You did great. Okay, so one more chapter that I thought was hilarious was the one on your your saddle budget. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Something I think everybody can relate to. Uh, The saddle budget. (laughs) Yeah, tell us a little more. Yes, yes. Okay, well, let me just read it because I think it's somewhat self-explanatory. The saddle is the most important and expensive choice you'll make for Wilbur. The horse's name is Wilbur in the book. I don't know why. It just sounds do-do-do-do-do. I don't have any any plastic surgery, eat out for dinner, buy your loved one an expensive toy, buy a new car, or buy anything over $5. You'll need every possible cent to invest in your perfect saddle. Saddle prices range far and wide. Saddles are built for different purposes, but ultimately, they're the thing that you try to keep your rear end well riding, rear end in while riding your horse. All saddles have similar components, the thing you sit in, the piece you sit on, things that curve up in the front, the pommels, something that curves up in the back, the cantle, and the strap that holds the saddle on, the sitch. Although they have several added choices, these are the basics no matter what design saddle you choose. I say saddle in singular form, but I just, I have yet to get away with trying and buying just one saddle. It's a simple investment calculation. It's called saddle broke investment calculations. So you start with a budget of $1,000 from your savings, $768 from steel tipped boots that you returned, and $23 from money that you saved on brushes. So you have a total of $1,791 to spend on a saddle. Saddle number one is $5,000. It's a bit more (laughs) than expected, but it's really pretty. Uh, Your new balance for your new available balance is negative $3,209. Turns out it didn't fit. 
you found out when Wilbur dumped you and you saw the open wound on his shoulder, so now you have to sell it. You sell your saddle number one for $500. Found out you were overcharged a lot. This was even high. So now your new saddle budget is negative $2,709. You hire a custom maker for $1,000. You order your new custom saddle for $3,000, and you ride bareback while you wait. Your new balance is negative $6,709. Sell saddle number two for $1,000. You swear you never said the seat size was 12. That's a child size. At least you got a bit more because it was custom made. Now your new balance is negative $5,709. Saddle number three, $3,500. It's perfect. Wilbur loves it. You love it. Until you go out for more than a half an hour and realize it turns sideways, costing you a trip to the ER, not the horse. The emergency room cost is $2,000. Your new balance available for a saddle is negative $11,209. We just did the same thing with a horse trailer, actually. <laughs> Getting a new horse trailer. We, we brought it home for one day and discovered, well, this one ain't going to work. What were we thinking? Brought it back and bought one double the price. So negative uh, $15,000 right there on a, on a $3,500 purchase. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's something we all too often feel the pinch over. <laughs> I know I have. <laughs> yes, because then I got sure. to thinking, well, we're in it for $7,500 for this trailer we had to bring back. So what's another, you know, why not double that? And, you know, we're in it this far. We might as well get one we really want and pay on it for the rest of our lives. Um, <laughs> that's right. Pocket change. That's right. Keep a few Taco Bells and you're already caught yeah, up. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Oh, it doesn't have to make sense. No, it doesn't have to make sense. Well, where can they find the book? Who, who needs writing boots? That's Pardon, right. Oh, you can buy the book direct from my website, which is www.victoriabalik, that's B-E-E-L-I-K.com. And we'll put a link in our show notes and also on our horses in the morning page, victoriabalek.com. The book's called The Do's and Oops of Horses. (laughs) Definitely check it out. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks, Vicki. Have a great day. Uh, All right. You do the same, and thanks for having me. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That sounds like a fun one you got to read. It sounds pretty good. (laughs) Yes. It is. Uh, all right. So where can people find the upcoming events and the ride calendar if they want to do like Jennifer and try their first ride? Yes. Go to AARC.org and then you're going to want to go to the ride calendar where you can search um, by region or your state or wherever you're at um, and find out what rides are near you. There also is an education link on that um, AARC website that will show you where um, some upcoming clinics might be being held in your area and that would have been something for jennifer if there was one in florida i don't know if they've had any there yet i i think they may have but i'll keep my eye out for you and let you know if they do have one because that would be a great way to go and get a first-hand walkthrough of all of the procedures and how to do everything well let's do this too let's uh plan our next episode to be kind of endurance 101 
Okay. Um, and we'll take at least the first hour, and maybe if you want to, you can get somebody to come on with you to help you with this, but it'll be you or you and your guest just walking okay. everybody through what happens. This is how you sign up. This is what you sign up for. This is what happens when you get there. This is where, you know, this is what happens when you start the day, and just go through for beginners. For somebody who's never done it before, because we're at the beginning of the season, it'd be a good time to do it. Right, yeah. right. So, so why don't we plan on that one for the next time? We'll make it Endurance 101. Yeah. yeah. So we'll make that a special episode coming up. So thank you so much, Karen, for joining us. If you're, if, and we want to welcome a new auditor too. I saw pop in there this morning and her name is Jess. So welcome, Jess. And uh, she said she just found horses in the morning. It's going through the back catalog. If you're doing that, Jess, you have uh, approximately 1,900 episodes to go. So <laughs> it's going to take you a little while. Uh, but just going back through the back catalog of all of the episodes for uh, the endurance episode will take you a long time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but thank you, Karen. What's your website? My website's karenchatton.com. Karenchatton.com is where you can find Karen. We'll be back tomorrow morning here at Horses in the Morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. I know a lot, a lot of you like Sally from Heels Down. She uh, does the Heels Down Happy Hour show and shows up here twice a month to give us updates from Heels Down. And she's very funny. And she's going to be co-hosting with me tomorrow morning on the show while Jamie's playing in the sand. Actually, I saw a picture from why yesterday it was raining. So... Apparently, she had a little bit of rain. She said even uh, rain in Hawaii is worth being in Hawaii. So (laughs) I imagine it probably is. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Have a good ride, everyone. 